1 John 2.15-17 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Of all of the commands that the Lord gives to us, love is the greatest. And he said over and over again in these scriptures, and especially within these writings that he has given to the Apostle John, that love is by far the most important thing that he will ever require of us, and he does require it of us. First to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love others even as Christ loves us and gave himself for us. We're to love each other that much. But here God gives us a command that is equally as strong and demanding but telling us that there are things that we are not to love. That we are not to love. We're not to love this world, nor any of the things that are in this world. And so that we'll not misunderstand this command, he tells us clearly and plainly why we're not to love the world and the things in the world. It's because this world is filled with all manner of sinful behavior and activities that will surely lure us into its clutches and corrupt our souls. And here in these words, God clearly describes the world's sinful effects as being lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And He tells us clearly and plainly that none of these things will ever come from Him. And they should never be allowed to become a part of us. And from these words also, may we be reminded that we must not try to simply rationalize the meanings of these words. But we are instead always to put our full faith and trust in the unction of the Holy Spirit who will help us then in our understanding of these words. In the most quoted verse in these scriptures, John 3.16 we're told that God loves this world. God loves this world. That He loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son to suffer and die for it. But yet here, He's telling you and me not to love the world. And thankfully, for those of us who do have Christ as our Savior and Lord and we have the Holy Spirit abiding within us, we're able to understand that there really is a difference between what God calls the world in John 3.16, and here where he tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So we can know that there really is a difference, but even with our knowing that, dealing with all of the daily things of life still are not easy for us. Unfortunately for us, and even for many very seasoned Christians, We can get confused as we attempt to navigate our way through all the fast-paced events and encounters of our day. I think of the parable of the weeds given by the Lord Jesus. 
In that parable, we Christians are described as being wheat. Wheat. That's a provision of God's bread of life that He has given in us to the lost and dying souls of this world. But because we are so surrounded by the unbelieving weeds of this world, we are continually in danger of being lured and enticed to become like them. And those weeds are ever and always encroaching into the matters of our daily lives. We work all in amongst them. We live all in amongst them. And so they're ever and always encroaching upon our daily lives, bringing with them these sins that are spoken about here, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Their roots intertwining with our roots, tempting and drawing us. By the way, that's one of the reasons why the Lord says that we should never unequally yoke ourselves together with an unbeliever. We are the wheat. And if we then intentionally intertwine ourselves with unbelieving weeds, destruction is just the next step. Those roots of those weeds are always tempting and drawing us, enticing us to join with them and go where they go and do what they do. Do you have that in some of your friends where they say to you, come, go with me, do things with me. And you know those things that they do aren't right. That's the problem. But it's a reality. We are wheat in amongst the weeds. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. They are the three deadliest of sins mentioned in these scriptures. And in them are most all of the forms of sin that men and women will ever encounter. And again, like all other sin, each of those sins are unrelenting predators. They are ever and always coming for us. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life, always coming for us, searching us out, finding us and enticing us to join with them. And let me warn you and me that at least one of these forms of sin, if not two, perhaps all three, will at some given time, and maybe often, will fit you and me perfectly. They will. They are that crafty. And the daily living out of these behaviors can be seen in most of the encounters that we'll engage in. With some people, it might be the more violent forms of sin. Hopefully that doesn't take place, but quite often the more quiet, more subtle forms of sin are all around us. Deception, manipulation, conversations that should not be had. Drama that should not be had. But they're all evil. They're destructive to our souls. Listen, let me give you a couple of examples of it. This is the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. This is Solomon saying to his son, Be careful. Because they will say, come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth and we'll fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. 
we shall all have one purse. Now you might say, I don't recall a time that I have ever been involved in that kind of violence, or ever wanted to be, or or tempted to be. But may I say to you that all you have to do is look at the media and what is being reported there. And there are many, many, many people who are devising these very plans right at this very moment to do violence to people. Probably right here in this small town. And again though, the other people, their sinful bent is maybe more towards the less violent forms like lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. Listen to this. This is Proverbs 7 beginning in verse 18. It says, Come let us drink our fill of love until the morning. Now this is Solomon talking to his son and he's saying, there are those ladies out there who will say this to you. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon he will come home. With her many persuasions she entices him with her flattering lips. She seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. This kind of worldly behavior is present today. But it's always been present. These words were written thousands of years ago. But never before has this kind of behavior been as commonplace as it is in our culture today. This very day, men and women in every workplace, in every neighborhood, in every sports bar are thinking thoughts and making plans like this. The favorite expression is they are hooking up. Sadly, those that did that last night, many of them have come right back to church today, not even understanding that there was anything wrong with what they were doing last night. Probably the most subtle of these three forms of sin, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life, is this pride of life. It's very subtle. And it can be seen in some of the simplest of forms. Such as, when you go to the store to buy some clothes, do you look for a particular manufacturer? Do you look for an emblem to be on your clothes or your shoes? Do you always have to wear Skechers? That's the only name I could think of that costs a little more than the cheapy tennis shoes but also too do you say I would only own a Ford it's in the kind of trucks and cars that we buy and drive it's in the neighborhoods that we want to live in at least and try our best to live in pride of life most of the time we don't even know that we're violating that sin it's part of our culture, and we have bought into our culture. One of the other things that I notice a lot is there are some folks in their conversations, they seem to know the very best restaurants to go to. They seem to always have the very best doctor. They seem to always read the very best books. 
They listen to the very best music. And there are arguments taking place this very day on who the very best football player or basketball player is. We seem to need to be an authority on every matter that we discuss. Do you find yourself trying to one-up whoever it is you're talking to? We can be caught up in this pride of life and not even know it. It's because it's become commonplace to us. Now all three of these deadly sins, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life, they can be found all within the Ten Commandments. Nothing's new about them. But probably the one that covers much of what I've been talking about here is the Tenth Commandment. Let me read that to you. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. Covetousness. I've heard many people say, oh, I don't covet the things that my neighbor has. I just want to have things like they have. It's a thin line. And that may be okay, but probably not. Lust and covetousness is still a foundation of these three deadliest of sins. And they all will lead to sure and certain ruin for us. In the recent study I mentioned a moment ago on the life of David, nowhere in these scriptures is the combination of these three deadly sins more obvious than in the sinful behavior of David with Bathsheba. Perfect combination of these three. You know the story, but let me recount it for us. David was there in his palace enjoying the pride of life. How was that so? As king, he was privileged to not have to go out to war with his troops. And so he stayed home. And as happens with idle minds, he began to watch his neighbor's wife as she sunbathed on a nearby roof. His watching then soon turned to lust of the eye and lust of the flesh, which then turned into sexual relations with her, causing Bathsheba to conceive and become pregnant. And then in an attempt to cover up his sins, David resorted to having Bathsheba's husband Uriah murdered. The perfect combination of these deadliest of sins. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. Folks, let me give us a warning. Unfortunately for each of us, these same cascading effects can quickly begin to descend upon you and me. The very moment that we step out from under God's protective hand. Let me read these words again for us. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Do you love the world? Do you love your life? We said there in Ecclesiastes how God wants us to enjoy what we have. But do you have an inordinate tie to this world and the things of this world? You need to examine your own heart 
before the Lord. Love not the world, neither the things of that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot do both. You cannot do both. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world will pass away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, there's a difficult truth that's being spoken in these words, and it's the one that we've been studying for the past several weeks. It's in these words, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, unfortunately for us, our sin-bent rationale seems always to try to figure out ways in which we can have our Christianity, but also keep our sinful behavior. Do you have that kind of rationalization going on in your mind very often? Let me answer that for you. Yes, you do. You look at a matter and you say, well, this could not be so bad. It's not sin. But there are Scripture verses that says, but is it profitable? It may not be sin, but is it profitable? And where does it lead? Have you had those arguments with yourself? Our sin-bent rationale wants to have our Christianity but also keep our behaviors our sinful behaviors our lust of the eye, lust of the flesh pride of life we talked in Sunday school it is not when you commit that sin of whatever it is you are lusting after it is not within the sinful sexual relations that David and Bathsheba sinned, yes they did there but the sin started way back earlier when he was still considering it from his own rooftop. You cannot have both Christianity and sinful behaviors, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. God's really clear. He says, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now again, we have been studying this for several weeks. Back in 1 John 1, listen to these words. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Now it's in the darkness that we find lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. That in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, we want to be a Christian. While we walk in the darkness, but we want our behavior, we lie and do not practice the truth. It's clear. All throughout these Scriptures, God gives us indicators and litmus tests that we can use so that we can know for sure if we are truly abiding in Him and in His will. And in these words... He tells us very clearly that we are not. If we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and with Him. And you and I are going to know that. But if we walk in the darkness of this world, and if we love this world and its ways, its lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life, then the love of the Father is not in us. And we have failed the litmus test. And that's a terrifying thought. A terrifying thought, especially for all of those of us who are devout churchgoers. Think about it. 
many devout churchgoers. They are there every Sunday, but yet they are violating some of the simplest and basic rules of Christianity without even realizing that they're doing it. We blindly think that our church involvement, our good works and our mission trips, and yes, we tithe, and yes, we give to the various mission organizations. And we think that that's going to wipe away those lusts, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life that lie well hidden within our hearts. It does not. Now, yes, we may be able to keep it hidden from our families. Maybe not. But we think we're hiding it from our families. But especially from our fellow churchgoers. They don't know that we have these sinful inclinations. But listen, the Scripture is clear. God does not look on the outward man, but He looks upon the heart. He knows all of our inmost secrets. He even knows every thought that we think before we ever let it come to our tongue to say. And He says to us, don't do that. Don't love this world. Neither the things that are in this world. Because if you do that, you're not in Me. You are deceiving yourself. Now, listen. Because you and I have been told these truths, today, you've been told these truths, we are clearly without excuse. Scripture tells us that. So what are we to do? How are we to deal with this enemy that's within, that we struggle with? May I tell you the only strategy that I have ever known to work? And it begins with our not focusing our attention and efforts on what we should not do, but rather to give our every effort to doing what we know we should do. Now that may sound odd, and it's especially contrary to most of the Christian fix-it type programs and plans that are in most of the churches today. And there are many of those fix-it plans. And they do not work. Many of them don't, at least. What do I mean? It begins with the Holy Spirit. The opposite behavior of our loving the world and lusting after all of its ways is for us to instead be loving and giving towards God first and each other. But knowing our own hearts that we usually fall short in our own efforts at such things, you and I must truly instead completely turn to the Holy Spirit. If we want to have and to do and to show good things instead of those sinful things, you and I must turn and ask Him, the Holy Spirit, because it is in the Holy Spirit that those good things reside. It is in Him that the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, they are in Him. But there's a caution that you and I must accept. Too often we good churchgoers We want to jump right into the fray and do the fix-it. We want to go out there and do our best to emulate these nine fruits of the Spirit. And that's when we find that we fall short. Why is it that we fall short in trying to emulate those nine fruits of the Spirit? It's because we are trying to use something that is not ours. 
Those fruits of the Spirit are not ours. They belong only to the Holy Spirit. They are His and His alone. And they can only be demonstrated in us when He, the Holy Spirit, is fully abiding in us and actually showing forth these works of His, these fruits of the Spirit. Is that confusing? It is to most folks. So may I say it again, because there is a thin and vague line between our doing and His doing. And the only time that we can be sure we're doing the right thing is when we focus our hearts and our efforts on drawing closer to the Spirit of Christ. Do you understand the difference? It is not waking up each morning and deciding I'm not going to do these lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. That does not work. If it worked, you would not need Christ. You would not need the Holy Spirit. It is in drawing nearer to the Spirit of Christ. It is only as we quit trying to do His job for Him and allow Him to do His work in us. And so then, how does that help us in this fight against the influences and the control of the world, the flesh and the devil, and in our efforts against lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and pride of life? It is simply that as we draw nearer to Christ, He draws nearer to us. Scripture tells us that. And as He draws nearer to us, His purity and His holiness and His righteousness begins to flow out from Him and cover over your and my soul, cleansing us from sin and protecting us from the influences of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now that might sound like a mystical idea, but it is the absolute truth. It is the only way that you and I will ever be able to combat these three deadliest of sins. The battle really does belong to the Lord. We say that, but do we believe it? The battle really does belong to the Holy Spirit. Our strength and our successes can only come through His power and His strength and His success. And with that being true, the only real task left for you and me is to surrender and to draw near to Christ every moment of every hour of every day. And as we do, out from Him will flow rivers of living water that will nourish our own souls and then on out to nourish all those around us. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's pray.